Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're in our ninth episode, week nine, 2021. And before I get started, I have some exciting news to share this morning. We issued a press release this morning announcing that our annual in-person conference, Connect Fiber Connect 2021, will be held at the Gaylord Opryland in Nashville on July 25th through 28th. You know, given that 2021 is promising to be the largest fiber investment year in history, we know that service providers and communities of all sizes are anxious to get together and meet and collaborate in all aspects of the fiber ecosystem. It's also the Fiber Broadband Association's 20th anniversary, and we plan to highlight the evolution of the fiber industry over the past 20 years. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I hope that you all can join us. Speaking of fun, Today's Fiber for Breakfast, we'll be discussing, can fixed wireless deliver RDOF gigabit speeds, separating fact from fiction? But before I formally introduce our guest, I'd like to introduce Trish Ehlers from our team, who's going to walk us through some housekeeping items. Thank you so much, Gary, and good morning to everyone who's joined us today. I'm going to quickly go over a few logistical items. If you could all please keep in mind that all participants are in listen-only mode. To ask a question, you can type it into the question box located within your control panel, which should be at the right side of your screen. We will host a Q&A session toward the end of our seminar today. This presentation is being recorded and will be available to, to members of on the FBA's website within 24 hours. You can find the recording in the events tab under the Fiber for Breakfast drop-down option. At the conclusion of the presentation, you'll be prompted to complete a brief feedback survey. Uh, please do so, we really appreciate your input. And now I'll pass it back to Gary to introduce our panelists and get us started. Thanks, Trish. And again, good morning and welcome everybody. I'm Gary Bolton, the President and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. On December 7th, the FCC awarded $9.23 billion for 5,220,833 locations in 49 states and one territory. 85% of the winning bids were in the gigabit tier. The gigabit tier winners also included six WISP wireless internet service providers that were awarded a total of $2.36 billion to deliver fixed wireless access and fiber to 800, or excuse me, 894, 325 locations. So joining us today is Larry Thompson, the founder and CEO of Vantage Point Solutions. And we'll be discussing, can fixed wireless deliver RDOF gigabit speeds separating facts from fiction? Based on the white paper that Larry developed and was filed with the FCC in an effort to help the commission vet the RDOF long form applications. Larry Thompson is a licensed professional engineer and has been designing satellite, wireless, and wireline broadband networks for over 30 years. His consulting firm, Vantage Point Solutions, has been in business for nearly 20 years with over 300 employees and hundreds of domestic and international clients. 
Prior to founding Vantage Point, Larry held several engineering and management positions with TRW Space and Miss or Space and Defense Sector, CyberLink Corporation, and Martin Group. He has also served two terms on the FCC's Broadband Deployment Advisory Committee. And Larry has a degree in physics from William Jewell College and a bachelor's and a master's in electrical engineering from the University of Kansas. Welcome, Larry. Um, you know, when your white paper hit the FCC, it seemed to quite, uh, create quite a reaction from some of the wireless associations. And I look forward to really learning under what conditions fixed wireless is a viable option for gigabit services and when it's not. So for audience, please type any questions you have as we go in your questions tab for our Q&A at the conclusions. So with that, over to you, Larry. All right, thank you, Gary, and thanks Fiber Broadband Association for having me today. So I just wanted to maybe just start out with a quick intro. You did a good job, Gary, but um, like Gary said, I'm uh, the CEO of Vantage Point Solutions. We do both landline, you know, fiber engineering, you know, thousands of miles of construction management a year, but we also do a lot of wireless engineering. And the intent of my paper that you mentioned, Gary, was not necessarily to, um, you know, bash one technology versus another. It's really what's the right tool for the toolbox? You know, what can we use to be able to, be able to meet this gigabit tier that 85% uh, of the successful bidders in the RDOP um, were awarded? And so since we do both wireless and wireline engineering, we'd probably engineer the network either way, just trying to figure out what's the most practical way to be able to do this. And so at Vantage Point, we have around 400 staff, over 500 clients, about 700 clients actually. Um, we've got 10 professional engineers on staff, and uh, like I said, do a lot of wireless and wireline engineering. Um, just to kind of set the stage, um, I want to talk just a moment here about what broadband demands really are and what they're going to be in the near term. I used to show, show a slide similar to this back when we started Vantage Point in 2002 that would show we were going to need to deliver one meg by 2005, eight meg by 2010. And I would have people coming up and arguing with me after the conference saying, why on earth does anybody need a Meg? The things hadn't been invented yet. We didn't know about Netflix or YouTube or uh, Facebook or any of that at the time. We don't know what's going to be filling the pipe. But if you just go back to the FCC's Measuring Broadband America reports and see what they've measured as the average broadband speed in the US and just plot it out, they show a 35% annual growth rate since they started doing their report in 2011. And what I did then is I went back and took the average that they uh, were measuring and plotted it out, uh, applying 35% you know, annually for the future years. And you can see those in the red box there where I say estimate. If I continue the same growth, and a lot of times people will argue it says it's got a plateau. I don't know what's gonna be filling up our pipes five years from now either, but I can tell you that it continues. We just always continually see that growth. And if you look at this chart, within the next five years or so, the average speed is going to be one gig. And by 2030, or it'll be four gig. And we look at even upstream, there's a increased uh, you know, emphasis on the upstream lately, a lot due to the work from home and uh, distance education and things like that but you can even see the upstream by 2030 is going to be approaching a gig. So just as a refresher in the RDOF, and really what I'm gonna be focused on today is that bottom gigabit tier. 
you can see the FCC defines that as being one gigabit per second in the downstream and 500 meg in the upstream. That's what the bidders in the gigabit tier need to be able to achieve is a gig down, 500 meg up with that minimum of two terabytes of monthly usage allowance. So I would like you as I'm talking about wireless and wireline and things like that in the next couple of slides here, keep in mind user demand is growing dramatically. We're designing networks that are to last 10 years, not designing networks for today. And gigabit will be table stakes in the next couple of years. So just to look at wireless, because really the intent of my uh, paper that Gary mentioned at the beginning of uh, this webinar was to determine can wireless really effectively meet that gigabit tier. There's no doubt you can do a gig through wireless. My discussion is really focused on is it a practical technology to use in these RDOF areas? And as you know, the R in RDOF is rural. If uh, they would have had an auction for UDOF, urban rather than rural, my conclusions would have been quite different. We're talking about rural areas. So uh, if you look at what spectrum is available, and I just kind of broke it into three easy chunks to look at here. The low band, which is generally below two gigahertz. Um, if you look at spectrum, spectrum's like the size of the hose. And if you're gonna pump water through, you have one way to get more water, is you know a bigger hose and this is the size of the hose this really is the biggest determining factor on how fast your wireless speeds can go and so you can see those are relatively small slices of the pie there there's just not enough spectrum to be able to get gigabit type throughputs in um, spec you know that size of spectrum you need a few hundred megahertz of spectrum and you can see in parentheses there um, you might have 185 in AWS, but the reality is most people only have, you know, five or 10 megahertz of any one of those chunks. Now, in this next one in the mid band where we're talking about two meg up to, let's say, or two meg, 2000 megahertz or two gigahertz up to about 10 gigahertz, um, you can see that there are some larger chunks in there. And if you look at some of them, like the five and six gigahertz, they are unlicensed. Much of this band especially in the bigger ones are unlicensed. It's difficult to deliver reliable broadband over unlicensed. And keep in mind, the six gigahertz is just recently released and there's uh, no real outdoor equipment for it available yet. But in the, the last piece you can see here, um, that's where a lot of the spectrum resides that we have available to be able to do broadband internet. And that's in the high band or the millimeter wave band. That's really where our focus is going to be because the lower bands for one reason or another and the mid band um, just don't really have a big enough hose to get the amount of water through we need. We need a bigger hose that's available in the millimeter wave where we have lots of spectrum and can pump very, very high speed data through. It's got some downsides as we'll see in the next slide to be able to deliver uh, high speed broadband uh, using millimeter wave. So if you look at it a little bit differently here, and you can see the, the thin lines on the left are the amount of spectrum in the low bands, the low and mid bands. They've got lots of great range. You can go a long ways with them and great penetrating power where you can go through the walls of your house and actually meet, you know, have customers in their homes receive the signal. And that's why when you're talking on your cell phone, for example, you're inside your house and you're still talking 
through your cell phone to a tower that's outside the home is because it's in a low enough frequency, it's going to be able to go through the walls of your house. The problem is there's just not very much of it. And even the recent auctions in the low band we're constantly stealing it from somebody else because it's all spoken for. There's just not a lot of spectrum down there. And uh, what we have is really used up. Now, if you look on the right-hand side of the chart here, where we're talking about the high frequency signals, the millimeter wave, if you uh, hit the next page there, it'll uh, show you that this has less range and less penetrating power, um, but a lot more throughput. It's not gonna go through the walls of your house or even your windows, you know, when you get up to the millimeter wave band, but the bars there are a lot larger, a lot more throughput, but it's got the downside that it doesn't go very far, which when you're looking at rural applications is very significant. In the next slide, I kind of show uh, pictorially what I'm really talking about here. And basically what I did is I took the uh, various frequency bands I was just talking about. So like 700 megahertz and, and 850, you know, being in that low band and then working my way up to the higher frequencies. And so you can see if I assume that I've got a tower down there in the lower right-hand corner inside that little white circle that you see in the lower right-hand corner there, I can go all the way out to that yellow line there if I'm in the 700 megahertz band. I just don't have much spectrum. I can't get much data throughput. I can get you you know, 10 or 15 megabits per second, certainly not anything close to what we need to deliver for the gigabit uh, tier for RDA. But as you get farther to the, to the right here where the circles are getting smaller and smaller, those are higher and higher frequencies. The white one down there in there is the 5.8 gigahertz unlicensed that you typically have in your Wi-Fi routers and stuff in your home. We've gone from, you can see 3,400 square miles coverage in the 700 megahertz band to three square miles uh, in the 5.8 gigahertz. Now, if we think about millimeter wave, millimeter wave being, you know, generally, you know, 10 to 30 gigahertz and above. If you uh, hit your uh, space bar there and show, I've got, so there we go, uh, 0.03 square miles. There's 10 little circles shown in that, you can see towards the center of my slide there. All things being equal, when you're delivering uh, you know, wireless services, the reality is as you get higher in frequencies, the laws of physics are, you know, with space loss and things like that, uh, drive how far you can go and you cannot go nearly as far in the high frequency bands as you can in the low frequency bands. Where all the spectrum is where you can deliver these super high speed services are in the high frequency bands. This is a quote from uh, the president of AT&T operations recently, he said millimeter wave, again, that's the high frequency millimeter wave, millimeter wave and the propagation properties of that, take your pick anywhere, 200, 300, 350 yards is really not going to fulfill a coverage layer need for 5G. He realizes it's not going to go very far and have much of a coverage. The next quote here from uh, T-Mobile, is uh, you know, he's the president of technology at T-Mobile. He said Verizon's millimeter wave only 5G plan is only for the few and it will never reach rural America. It doesn't travel far from the cell site and doesn't penetrate materials at all. It will never materially scale beyond small pockets of 5G hotspots in dense urban environments. So the discussion in the paper is not so much can you get a gig through it? Is it possible? It's really, 
how applicable is it to these rural areas that were auctioned off in RDOF? So what I actually did is I just went back to the uh, RDOF map. I kind of zoomed into a random area. Uh, this was in Colorado, it turned out. So I just picked kind of a random area in, uh, that was awarded in RDOF. And I said, well, I'm just gonna look and see how practical might it be to do uh, you know, gigabit wireless using millimeter waves, since that's really where we need to do it at. And can I stay within a few hundred feet? You know, we could argue, is it 500 feet? Is it 700 feet? Is it 1,000 feet? Uh, you know, depending upon the size of the dish on the home and things like that, it's somewhere in that range. It's a few hundred feet. So I went and I located every customer and I plotted all seven of the customers I could find in this RDOF area, which is around 60 to 70 square miles. Those little boxes there are square miles. So you can see that you know over the upper left-hand corner, you've got a customer about a mile away, much greater, you know, 10 times more than what it probably needs to be to be able to effectively deliver one gig using millimeter wave. There was two customers that were within 800 feet, which is probably around the limit. But you can see that most of these customers, if you're thinking about sticking a tower someplace, fiber feeding that tower and trying to deliver wireless internet, wireless broadband to these customers. There's no place you'd be able to place your tower, maybe between those two customers on the far left, and it'd be 400 feet from each and be able to deliver it. But you're a far cry from being able to serve just this one small area that I zoomed in on from a, a census block basis. And remember, they have to, any a successful bidder has to serve even new homes that could potentially pop up in this area. Many of these homes are miles apart, not hundreds of feet. So basically, um, you know, what we recommended in our paper is not unlike what the FCC said they're already going to do, but they, they said they would scrutinize the RDF bids. We just kind of gave them some guidelines. The, the design shouldn't exceed distance capabilities of what the technology can really do. Um, the second thing we recommended is that you need line of sight. If you're going to do gigabit and you're in the you know, millimeter wave band, you can't have trees, you can't have buildings, you can't have hills um, you know, in between you and your customer. And the third thing that we recommended was that, the, uh, that you should have adequate uh, capacity at your tower or your sector. So the customers being served by that wireless signal off of those antennas have reasonable oversubscription rates, You've got to, you know, like the FCC required, remember that 70% or so could subscribe to your service. So there's got to be reasonable customer loading. We also had uh, recommended that they should have adequate backhaul capacity. You know, when you're backhauling, if it's wireless or wireline, uh, however you're backhauling it, that you should have adequate capacity to serve the appropriate number of customers as well. And then finally, um, if you're looking at mesh networks, you know, make sure that you're considering backhaul congestion in mesh networks. They also brought up in the paper about the concerns that you might put a mesh network out there, have a customer drop their service, and you might break the mesh entirely. It's not like an urban area where you might have many ways to reroute signals. When you're talking only a few hundred feet, you might not even find customers within that. And if you do find one and they drop your service, you could uh, potentially hinder uh, everybody upstream from that location. So just uh, what the FCC actually said, this is in their June procedural order. They said, given distance limitations, spectrum band attributes, channel bandwidth requirements, 
uh, backhaul and medium haul requirements, tower siting requirements, capacity constraints, required upstream, upstream speeds, required minimum monthly usage allowances, and other issues raised in the record, we expect it will be similarly challenging for a fixed wireless provider to make a case that it can offer mass market service meeting the gigabit performance tier, public interest obligations in the less dense areas eligible for auction 904, which was RDOC. I just agree with their statement, and that was kind of the focus of my paper. So Gary, what kind of questions do we have? Thanks, Larry. Uh, you know, I always learn so much listening to you, so I really appreciate that. You know, if I think about, um, you know, no matter what you're using, whether it's copper, coax, air, or fiber, things always kind of boil down to the, the three immutable laws of physics. And I think you outlined this in your paper, right? There's, you know, you basically a noise environment, bits per hertz, and more hertz. Maybe, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, um, you know, Shannon's law, and not to get too technical here, but there are, just like Gary said, some physical laws that determine how fast you can actually go. It's all a matter of signal to noise ratio and spectrum. And um, the FCC determines how much power you can actually, I just can't continually upgrade, you know, increase my power in my antenna because it's all driven by the FCC as well. So they put limits on that. So really now I'm back down to how much spectrum can I get? And really we need to start looking at the millimeter wave for that because the FCC puts upper limits on how uh, much power and what my signal to noise ratio. We talked a little bit about unlicensed spectrum as well. We've always had difficulties, you know, meeting uh, customer demands and unlicensed bands because you don't have any control. You get customers that turn up Wi-Fi routers and things like that. That's increasing the noise level, so it makes your signal to noise ratio worse and uh, decreases your speed. So in the paper, I took some reasonable assumptions when it came to things like spectral efficiency on how many bits per hertz of bandwidth can you actually technically achieve nowadays. And when I was coming up with these, it's usually like an average over your serving area. You can always find some example where somebody's standing underneath the tower and he's the only one there and he actually achieved better than that or something that you read is in a lab report or something like that. But I'm talking about real world conditions, what they're going to experience in the RDOP. And we wanna keep that in mind as well. And just to reiterate, I mean, a number of our members are um, with and there are absolutely opportunities for um, providers to leverage fixed wireless to deliver gigabit speeds, right? And that's what you highlight. It's just when to use that, right? Because, I mean, the one thing that I do, I am encouraged is there is a lot of fiber that's going to be deployed. And as you get the fiber to those antennas, that just gets fiber deeper and closer to the customer. And it, you know, it's a path to being able to deliver fiber to the home. Uh, so one of the, the questions that came up was, well, what about uh, 70 and 80 gigahertz? You know, 10 gigahertz spectrum up to 10 gigabits, full duplex, you know, several miles of line of sight with five nines availability um, used for backhaul today for rural connectivity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing I distinguished in the paper as well is the difference between point to point and point to multipoint. And the other thing I would like to emphasize is the fact that the FCC was clear in paragraph 98 of their um, RDOC procedural order that they're not going to be awarding things to technologies that are not already out there and proven. When you start getting into the you know 70 to 90 gigahertz band, you know 
there's still unknowns on you know who's going to be the SaaS provider and things like that. There's no equipment out there that would do end user um, why you know wireless broadband. Now there are instances where we're using uh, things like that for backhaul. Certainly, you know, and backhaul where I can put a big dish on two different antennas and you know go a few miles sometimes in those frequency bands. Um, that's different than mass market end user deployment of broadband because I'm not going to be able to put a dish that size on my central tower for every single one of those customers and likewise at those customer locations. It wouldn't be practical for the customer. It wouldn't be practical economically to deploy that as well. I think right now in the 70 to 90 gigahertz band, there's too many technical unknowns. It's not a deployed technology that is in common use that the FCC is going to require. Uh, before they make that award. So I think there's just too many questions. And Gary, one thing I will mention, like you said, you've got members that are, are WISPs and do wireless deployments. We do too. A uh, big part of Vantage Point's uh, business is engineering wireless networks. And so like I, I started out talking about here, I'm not here to trash any sort of a technology. There's a right technology for the right purpose. And we do a lot of wireless deployments as well. I'm just questioning is wireless the right solution for rural deployment of gigabit RDOF uh, services. So we had a comment from uh, one of our members of the audience says that they spoke with a Verizon engineer last week and they're interested in their towers for low band 5G. They said they will have 300 to 600 megabits on 600 megahertz and up to 1.5 gigabits on mid band. Uh, but as you noted, they will not do a uh, millimeter wave for rural. Does that surprise you? No. Now, one thing I want to uh, stress too is it all comes back to spectrum and spectrum availability. You look at Verizon, who spent billions of dollars in uh, purchasing spectrum over the years. They typically have much more spectrum that they've purchased than any of these successful bidders in the RDOC. So they actually have a few more tools in their toolbox that a lot of people don't have. And the other thing I wanna uh, make sure I emphasize here as well is you've gotta read the fine print when you hear those kinds of things because oftentimes they might be talking about total sector capacity and that gets shared by many users that are served by that same sector. That doesn't mean that they can deliver a uh, hundred, uh, you know, meg or a gig you know to each one of the customers in that sector because everybody's taking their own piece of the pie so you really have to read the fine print and see what they're really trying to say and then based on what you said larry just uh you know when you quoted the fcc about gigabit fixed wireless any sites into why in the world the fcc would allow these WISPs to get through the short form application process in the first place that's a great question gary and when I, even in my paper, I was real clear that there could be possible pockets. You know, that example I showed you in Colorado would not be a very good, you know, place to put this gigabit wireless. A lot of these winners won huge swaths, and they're going to have lots of areas that look just like or even worse than what I showed you in the Colorado example. Um, but there could be potentially a little pocket of a dozen customers and a little housing development that maybe they could run fiber to a tower and do millimeter wave uh, gigabit internet to that small pocket of customers. So there is a possibility. I'm not taking a broad brush and saying there is no, no possibility any place would be able to do it. I'm just saying that for these large areas that were won, 
there's going to be 95% of that area is probably not practical, but there could be a couple of pockets here and there where I could see you may be able to do gigabit uh, millimeter wave RDOF services to serve a few customers here and there. Yeah, beam across the lake, pick up some homes, you know, from an apartment again, building to another apartment building. I mean, there's, I can certainly see, you know, especially it, in the urban areas, absolutely. Yeah, and where you might just do use it for some backhaul. Like I said earlier, I'm talking about to the end user. You know, when you filled out your short form, it was wireless to the end user. I'm talking about the last mile connection. There could be some middle mile or second mile instances where this may make sense, just like you said, to get across a river or something like that. And then um, I have a question here is, do you think the first phase of RDOF funding will be reversed possibly? Uh, that's the million dollar question. I think that we have a real possibility of that. I don't think the possibility is zero, but I don't think also that it's it's super high. It would be an enormous uh, change of direction for the FCC to reverse that. Although with the new administration, uh, a new FCC chairperson, um, I think anything is probably possible. Uh, you know, given the changes that we've had since the RDOF was uh, developed. Yeah, I mean, just what we're seeing, especially in discussions with congressional offices, is, you know, I think that uh, the feeling is that the WISP that have applied, you know, they are going to do largely fiber, and, you know, those networks will be engineered in a way that are able to meet the, the RDOF requirements. The areas that we think are the most in question is the LEO satellite. And so the question is, does that money roll to phase two? and where Congress wants that money to get deployed, so they'd rather revert back to the, the next winning bidder. They can deploy a fiber network, um, is kind of what we're hearing. But again, it's a lot is um, on the table. Well, yeah, I think that we're out of time because I could talk to you uh, about this all day, Larry, but, um, you know, so I really appreciate you joining us today. And uh, again, oh, I do have a lot of questions on where can people get your white paper? I know it was filed with the FCCs that's on in the public domain, but. Yep, oh, so you if, you, if you go just to the Vantage Point website, I've got it at the bottom of the slide there, Vantage PNT, like paulnancytom.com. We've got a resources tab and under that resources tab, we actually have a link to the white paper. That's the easiest place. It's been filed with the FCC, so you can get it on their eDoc system as well. But just at the Vantage Point website's the easiest place probably to go grab it. Well, Larry, you know, thank you so much. You know, we really appreciate your industry leadership and designing networks and really sharing your experience and fixed wireless and all networks with our audience today. Um, I hope you all can join us for Fiber for Breakfast next Wednesday. We'll be discussing fiber and fixed wireless uh, fiber broadband association look. And this is with two of our board members, Mark Boxer from OF, OFS and Joanne Hovis um, of CTC Technology and Energy. So thank you again for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next Wednesday.